What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Monday, June 19th, 2023. And tonight we're talking about a Cardinals win. Unlikely the circumstances were from Monday afternoon in Washington, D.C., as the Cardinals actually trailed this game 5-0 after two innings. And in situations this season where the Cardinals have been down by that sort of deficit, we just haven't seen a lot of fight from this team, from the offense, to be able to grind their way back into a game like that. Cardinals were down 5 nothing. Jack Flaherty getting hit around in the first couple of innings. But by the time his start came to an end, even though the line scorer was not very impressive at all, if you just check out the box score after the game, we weren't necessarily feeling as harshly about Jack Flaherty's start as uh, I think most people would have been after the second inning. I sent a tweet out during the second inning that I believe I phrased as such, uh, Jack Flaherty is getting shelled into oblivion by the Washington Nationals. At the time, it was true, and even by the end of the game, he had allowed six runs charged against him, all of them earned, 10 hits in the game as well. But Jack Flaherty ultimately settled down in a way that did help the Cardinals reach a victory today, 8-6 to six over the Nationals. And so we'll talk about it tonight on B-Shape Daily. How harshly are you grading Jack Flaherty's outing in D.C.? Are you going to give him the credit for sticking with it the way that he did in this game and uh, allowing the Cardinals a little bit of room to make their comeback effort? So I'll give my thoughts on that, as I will about the lineup. The Cardinals put out a relatively interesting lineup alignment today that we haven't really seen from their batting order with Lars Newtbar back in the action, as we anticipated last night he probably would be. We talked on B-Shape Daily Sunday night about his four-hit day with two home runs in a rehab game for Memphis. Figured they'd put him on the next flight out to D.C. That's exactly what happened, as we saw Lars Newtbar activated on Monday, Luke and Baker heading back to Memphis as a corresponding move there. But to bat him number three in the lineup was interesting for Ollie Marmel's alignment. And why did he do that? I think it's relatively obvious, but we can talk about that, what we think of it, as well as some of the other lineup conversations. Because another thing that was alluded to last night on B-Shape Daily, if you happen to catch it, as we sort of anticipated the return of Lars Newtbar, I said, yep, it kind of feels like Dylan Carlson is about to get squeezed out of the lineup once again through no fault of his own or... Maybe there are some things that we could see him doing more capably in order to uh, have a better vice grip on playing time. But I don't really know if it's as much about Dylan Carlson right now as it is about all the other permutations and the other things going on in the Cardinals daily line of conversation. We got some of it right with what we were hoping to maybe see in terms of uh, Jordan Walker getting a day at DH. I don't know if that's going to be an everyday ordeal, but it was something that the Cardinals were at least happy to do for Monday. Talk about the alignments and different things that go on as the Cardinals continue that quest for outfield defense and really strong defense across the diamond and uh, how that definitely did play into Monday's win as the Cardinals got the come from behind victory 8-6 to six over the Nationals. Talk about the offense and how they were able to do that. I mean, you start down 5 nothing and you battle back. There are certainly uh, some guys deserving of acclaim within that lineup. And uh, one of those guys, Brendan Donovan, had the big swing of the day and I just continue to be impressed with the at-bats that he has put together at the top of the Cardinals order. And so we'll talk a little bit about the lineup in general before we uh, also get into that that bullpen situation. Yeah, Jordan Hicks once again on for the ninth inning for the Cardinals. That is the third consecutive day that they've gone to Jordan Hicks and the third consecutive day that he has come up with a save as the de facto Cardinals closer. I mean, it's his role as of right now as he has uh, sort of lapped Giovanni Gallegos, who also 
did his job today in the eighth inning for the Cardinals. But Jordan Hicks, until further notice, he's the guy. And if you need any more proof than the last three days, I don't know what you're looking for because uh, Ollie Marmel has trusted him and Jordan Hicks has responded. And today I think he threw one of the nastiest pitches I've seen in all of MLB this season. That 104-mile-per-hour sinker to end the game was absolutely disgusting. So we'll talk about Jordan Hicks and whether that's something we can expect to continue. All that coming up tonight on B-Shape Daily. So make sure you guys are following the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe over there and want to invite you to subscribe on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at B-Shaper12 if you're typing it into the URL. Or you can just type into the search bar on YouTube. My name, Brendan Schaefer, and you will find me, Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. We're here on YouTube with all of these uh, podcasts and lots of live streams coming the remainder of the Cardinal baseball season. So appreciate it if you guys would like the video on YouTube and subscribe over there. And of course, leave your comments. Let me know what you think about the latest little trend for the Cardinals as they have now wrapped out three wins in a row. Yes, that is a winning streak, but still a long way to go as uh, teams atop the division seeming to put together some winning baseball as of right now also. So Cardinals are still a ways away from climbing back into this thing, but uh, as I've been saying over the last few days, it is the Cincinnati Reds, in my opinion, that you need to be thinking about, not the Pirates, not the Brewers, as the Reds actually overtook Milwaukee today. Uh, they've won nine of their last 10, and they are 38-35. and 35. The L.A. De La Cruz factor is real, Maybe the Cardinals need to call up Mason Wynn at some point to try and get another boost from a young player. But Jordan Walker providing plenty of that as well for the Cardinals in the present day. And uh, he had another good day at the office on Monday. Two for four. Uh, did have a couple of strikeouts, but the two hits and four at-bats raising the batting average for Jordan Walker to 302 on the season. And the OPS is up to 854. Jordan Walker doing his work today out of the number six hole in the Cardinals lineup. We'll get into a little bit of what we thought of the lineup from Monday, but let's talk first about Jack Flaherty because, well, we've seen this Cardinals rotation sort of put it together a little more frequently in recent weeks. Even though the Cardinals haven't been winning as many games, we felt better about the day-to-day -day performance of the starting pitching staff. Today was not one of those days, especially if you're watching this game in the first couple of innings, as Jack Flaherty was just getting hit around, giving up hits to all fields, it's not necessarily that he was giving up long bombs. Uh, no home runs allowed in this game at all for Jack Flaherty, but hit after hit after hit. And, you know, some decent contact that these Washington Nationals hitters were putting together against Jack Flaherty. He was leaving breaking balls over the middle of the plate. Just didn't look like those pitches had a lot of snap to them. Not super sharp, not well located. And for Flaherty, it just seemed like he couldn't catch a break. Although he was getting some help from his defense, a couple of outfield assists in the game today. He had Tommy Edmond with a diving catch. Of the first two innings, Jack Flaherty really was bailed out by his defense on three of the outs, I would make a case for, as I think Newpar had a, a good throw. Walker might have had one. I know Tommy Edmond with a diving catch in one of those uh, first couple of innings as the center fielder today for the Cardinals. It could have been so much worse than it was, but I think it was important to Jack Flaherty's day the way he was able to settle down and to do so with a lot of efficiency because he's pitching into the seventh inning solely because of what he was able to do uh, in terms of being economical with his pitches in innings three, four, five, and six. He had a six-pitch inning in the sixth, which allowed him to get out for the seventh. Only recorded one out there and then was uh, rescued a little bit by the bullpen as Genesis Cabrera did a nice job to get the couple of batters that he faced to escape that seventh inning for the Cardinals. But Jack Flaherty stayed in this game long enough to be the winning pitcher improving to 4-5 and five on the season. 
the ERA at 4.95. He gave up 10 hits and six earned runs today, but doing so in six and a third. I know that's never a box score. I mentioned that the stat line for Flaherty wasn't going to be one that really impressed anybody. When you give up 10 hits and six runs, uh, you know, it, it kind of the rest of it doesn't seem to matter as much. But the reality is this. The Cardinals don't win this game if Jack Flaherty doesn't find a way to get as deep into it as he did settling down after that second inning. It was 5 nothing Nationals after two. The Cardinals begin in the third, uh, trying to work their way back into it, and it was only by the sixth inning that they really capitalized with the three-run home run by Donovan and then Paul Goldschmidt following that up with the go-ahead shot that put the Cardinals in the lead, and they stayed there throughout the rest of this game. Flaherty allowing some base runners there in the seventh inning. Um, mentioned, though, Henesis Cabrera was able to uh, basically escape without a whole lot of damage. One of those inherited runners does come around to score against Cabby, uh, but otherwise Cardinals were able to get through that inning, maintain their lead as they did, and uh, the bullpen with Gallegos and then with uh, Jordan Hicks from there was able to get the job done. Important, though, for Jack Flaherty to cover some of those middle innings, and that's just so different, I think, from what we have seen uh, from this Cardinals team, not because the starters don't occasionally settle down and, and give you some innings, which... It has kind of been a trend, but a lot of times when that happens, it almost seems like it's in vain because the offense has already sort of checked out of the proceedings and you just don't expect when you're down 5 nothing uh, to necessarily have a Cardinal team that is capable of hanging in there and, and making the comeback and scratching away to try and score some runs. Uh, triple for Tommy Edmond in that third inning was able to contribute to the Cardinals just getting on the board there. Paul Goldschmidt driving in Tommy with a base knock later in the inning. Just get those couple of runs and get it within striking distance. I think it was important for the Cardinals to do that right after uh, Jack Flaherty had another rough inning in the second inning. Allowed him to settle things in. They just kept at it, and that's just uh, its a rarity from this Cardinals season. They pick up their 30th win on the season, though, today, pretty much because Jack Flaherty was able to grind out and pitch into the seventh inning the way that he did. It's not like he deserves an award. He was awarded enough by getting the W next to his name to go 4-5 and five on the season. But no, this isn't going to be the kind of start that I think we use as an example of a quality one from the Cardinal rotation. In reality, they're going to need better, and they're going to need better more consistently from all five of their starters. Um, but this is also part of the reality of what we've come to expect from this Cardinal season, which is a lot of hits given up by the rotation. You can at least say for Flaherty's credit, he didn't give up any home runs while pitching into the seventh today. But 10 hits in an outing is not all that unusual for what we've seen from the Cardinals rotation and, and Flaherty is one of the guys that you really don't expect to see that from um, because his ability to miss bats should be higher in theory than some of the other guys in this rotation. But he's been pitching to contact the entire rotation in a lot of ways, has been pitching to contact. Uh, and we've talked a lot about on B-Shape Daily this year how it's just not to their benefit because of the rule changes and the pitch clock and all the things kind of going on, uh, especially the shift ban, I think, has hurt the Cardinals from an infield perspective to be able to uh, gobble up a lot of those hits. But a lot of these are just kind of line drives and soft line drives, and they're being sprayed around uh, from corner to corner, really, in the outfield. And I, I just don't know defensively in the outfield if there's a whole lot the Cardinals could have done more today. Like I said, you have some assists. You have some nice sliding catches being made. Newpar returning with his play in right field. Uh, did a nice job today. It's just one of those things where the contact was significant enough that it just seemed like Flaherty was underwater. And was obviously able to get around it eventually. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How harsh are we going to be about his outing? Well, I think you do give him some credit to say, hey, at least he got deeper into the game, didn't uh, burn up the bullpen. But it is because of his ability to kind of keep it where it was that the offense, I think, shows a little bit of life to recognize, hey, we're still in this game a chance we have to be able to make a, a come from behind. You do kind of recognize you're playing against the Nationals, uh, a team, one of the rare teams now in the National League that does have a worse record than the Cardinals. The Nats now are 27-44. and 44. The Cardinals are 30-43, and 43, so the Cardinals have a little bit of an advantage over Washington now in that regard. But you just got to know that there is opportunity out there to be able to get to this pitching staff, uh, to be able to maybe pile on against the bullpen thereafter. So for as much as this doesn't end up being a banner day for Jack Flaherty, I think today's game was as good of an example as we have seen all year from the Cardinals as we talk about the different phases of their team. Uh, one of the quotes that came from Nolan Arenado following the last homestand, which was kind of a bummer, and he said after the homestand, you know, quite frankly, it's just been bad baseball. And some of the reasons for that have been days where you hit well, you don't seem to pitch. Days where you pitch well, the offense hasn't always been able to back up the pitching staff with good performances. And then you can even go into the nitty-gritty a little further and talk about how some days defensively ends up being the thing that harms you. Sometimes maybe it's base running. Uh, it can be situational hitting. There have just been a lot of ways that the Cardinals have found to lose games rather than on days where one element of your team might have it really clicking. And today you can make the case that that was kind of the bullpen, which did, but you won't really know that till the latter stages of the game because they're not involved in it until the 6th, 7th, 8th, or ninth inning. The offense, though, to score eight runs and to continue to uh, to add on the way that they did, even after the big couple of innings, they put up runs in three different innings, all crooked numbers, but the fact that they were able to add on even a little bit more in the seventh today ends up being important because the bottom of the seventh inning, the Nationals get one back off of, uh, well, it's charged to Flaherty, but with Cabrera in the game, important that Arenado and company uh, are able to kind of keep the line moving and uh, I was I was ready to kind of talk more about Jordan Walker needing to bat above Wilson Contreras in the lineup, but uh, credit to Wilson for coming up with an RBI single uh, later in this game. He was part of that couple of runs they scored on the rally in the seventh inning. Um, early in the game, you had the double play that he hit, which was immediately followed by a, a nice stroke single up the middle for Jordan Walker, where you just thought, man, can they continue to have this situation where Contreras is potentially tanking these uh, these rallies that could be happening by hitting into double plays, whereas Jordan Walker, I just think, is taking better at-bats right now. To Wilson's credit, ends up getting that RBI single later on. I still believe, I mean, you've got a guy in Walker with a, a 100 points higher batting average. He's hitting 302. To Wilson Contreras is 201. Um, the, the OPS is 200 points higher, 854 to 648. I think Jordan Walker's taking better at-bats right now. I would still probably be in favor of making that switch. I think it's a relatively minor one. We're starting to see Wilson come out of it a little bit, but I still think uh, it's more of a reflection, honestly, of the things Jordan Walker is doing well than anything else, that I'd like to see him higher up in the lineup. He's just taking good at-bats. We know the way that he can impact the baseball when he swings and and does damage. So that is a move that I would make. Do I necessarily see the Cardinals doing it? Ah, it doesn't seem like it. 
because we're again we saw a home run from Contreras over the weekend, and we get that RBI hit from him today that we see. So I, I think Ollie Marmol is really trying to hold on for dear life to avoid making that move because you want to instill confidence in the eighty-seven and a half million dollar catcher that has obviously already had his confidence shaken a little bit uh, for different reasons this season. So I think that's maybe not a move that we'll see. Uh, but at least Jordan Walker at this point is batting sixth. I think you certainly don't want him any lower than that. But let's talk about what we saw from the rest of the lineup. I'm just going to read off the lineup for folks who may not have uh, seen the game or seen, recognized the exact lineup batting order alignment that they had. It was Donovan leading off, which I said uh, I would continue to do, and he comes up with the big home run. Goldschmidt still batting second. Lars Newtbar batting third was kind of the changeup that I, I guess we didn't necessarily expect. But when you think about how we've talked, the Cardinals really want to keep that sandwich, as it were, with a left-handed bat in between Goldschmidt and Arenado. And we know Gorman has just been struggling tremendously, and he continued to do so on Monday. Makes sense to maybe try Newpar there in that three spot just because of uh, having the left-handedness as an aspect and just the the level of at-bats that he's taken this season have been pretty strong. I personally don't love it. I, I get why they do it. I think it makes perfect sense if you're trying to keep a lefty in between Goldschmidt and Arenado. But I also would maybe just keep the on-base guys up at the top and then have Goldschmidt, Arenado back-to-back, as we talked about last night on B-Shape Daily, to kind of drive those guys in would maybe be my preference. But I get it, uh, and we'll see how long they stick with this alignment of of uh, Newt Bar in between Goldie and Arenado. But again, it was Donovan, Goldschmidt, Newt Bar. Arnado Contreras, Walker, and we've talked about those two guys, and then Gorman, DeYoung, and Edmund toward the bottom of the lineup at the seven eight nine. 9 uh, DeYoung having a nice day, right? I was coming into today thinking, all right, the guy that got squeezed out is Dylan Carlson. What would be the obvious way to potentially get his bat back into the lineup? Or really beyond his bat, it's getting his defense into the lineup uh, would be the preference because the Cardinals are talking about how important it is right now and how their goal is to stabilize the defense in the outfield. Well, Tommy Eben has done a nice job of that. He's, he makes a misplay here or there and, and maybe doesn't have the world's strongest arm from center field to be able to come up with the, the dazzling throw that can maybe get a guy at the plate or something like that. But generally, Tommy Eben has done a nice enough job that uh, the Cardinals feel makes sense to keep him out there. Uh, but what it ends up meaning is that Dylan Carlson is on the bench. And I still believe that Dylan Carlson is the Cardinals' best defensive center fielder. And so if you threw him in center, you could have Newpar in, in right and Donovan in left, the way that I said last night would be exactly what I would want to see. Do I believe that Donovan's a better second baseman than anywhere else? Yeah, I like him on the infield. I think he does a really nice job there. But we've also seen him just make heads up, dazzling defensive plays at, at pretty much everywhere that he has been asked to play on the diamond this season. And so having him in left field is something I don't have a problem with at all uh, because I, I do believe you prioritize at-bats for Brendan Donovan. The way he's putting it together – He's got the OPS now up to 748, and he was toiling away in the low to mid-600s there for a while. Brendan Donovan's numbers will be there at the end of the season. I truly believe that. I've been saying it, and we're continuing to see with the, the damage that he can do. Um, he was my pick for bombs away today from from C70 and Cardinals Gifts on Twitter. I thought it'd be a Donovan home run. I, I guessed the first inning to right field instead of the fifth inning to right field, so no trifecta for me. Um, but I did feel like today was maybe going to be a day we'd see him go yard, and he was able to to come through on that. But my point in bringing him up is, regardless of defensive position, I do think you you continue to prioritize at-bats for him. The guy that maybe gets squeezed out other than Carlson, as we talked about, well, it could be Nolan Gorman at a certain point, especially if the Cardinals remain committed to Edmund in the outfield, 
and DeYoung getting regular starts and those starts coming, uh, obviously, at the shortstop position. What I get into is the argument of, well, if they're going for their best outfield defense, would it not include their best defensive center fielder in the organization, which is Dylan Carlson, in my opinion. And, and I I get that sometimes the metrics may not completely back that up. You're looking at small samples on occasion. I know Joe Trezza, who I, I guess is maybe filling in for uh, John Denton out in D.C. on this series on the, the MLB.com beat for the Cardinals, uh, wrote an article kind of breaking down and did a great job of breaking down the decision process that's going on when it comes to this outfield alignment which again, today was Donovan in left, Edmund in center, Newt Barr in right field. I get the argument that because Paul DeYoung is a good defensive shortstop, uh, that there's value to keeping him in the lineup. But I don't know, and I guess, you know, Trez's verdict that he came to with that article, which again is worth checking out at MLB.com, was that what they did today was kind of the best that they can do for now in terms of defensive value in the field. But I still disagree. I would still say that Edmund at shortstop, you're not really losing a whole lot there compared to Paul DeYoung at shortstop. And maybe the metrics defensively would say that Edmund's not as good at short. Uh, maybe his arm isn't as strong. Like, these are all things that I, I know people talk about. I I say we're kind of Wally Pipping Tommy Edmund from the shortstop position through no fault of his own, not because he wasn't playing a good defensive shortstop. I felt that he was, and I like the way that he looks there at that position. Um, but it, I guess it's the metrics, giving Paul DeYoung more credit for his work at short. And if Paul DeYoung is going to contribute offensively, then I do think it ends up being the case that they're in a very fine alignment. DeYoung had a double today. He went two for four. He scored a couple of runs. So if he's producing offensively to a level that you think is going to be better than what Carlson has done, then, yeah, I get the decision, and and maybe it's the one that they end up sticking with. But I also think that Dylan Carlson has the potential to be a good offensive player. And maybe I'm just on an island about this. I recognize looking at his numbers – that it hasn't really been the case not only this year, but over the last couple of years in his MLB career. Because you go back to uh, 2021, which was kind of his breakout season, he had great numbers. A 780 OPS, hitting 266 with a 340 on base and, and slugging nearly 440. Had 18 home runs that year and a full season of games. If the Cardinals were getting that from their lineup in the outfield, you would absolutely smash that button, lock it in, no questions asked. 780 OPS with a with a 115 OPS plus. That was Dylan Carlson in 2021. He simply, though, has not been the same guy offensively since then. Last year was a 695 OPS, which put him at 99 OPS plus, basically a tick below league average uh, for the for the outfield position that he was playing. And just kind of underwhelming. Not a lot of power. You get 488 plate appearances last year from him in just eight home runs. Uh, the, the power has kind of evaded his game for whatever reason. Now, he still did hit 30 doubles last year, but... Uh, just had not been a very powerful hitter. And this year, I mean, I, I'm a Dylan Carlson fan. I think he's a guy that I would give opportunity to because I know what he can do to stabilize the outfield in terms of defensively. But, I, I mean, I got to be someone that acknowledges the numbers as well and, and don't put my head in the sand on it. Just five doubles, a triple, and three home runs and 142 plate appearances. And uh, Jeff Jones had the tweet. I, I was talking back and forth with Jeff about this today because he's more of the mind that, you know, maybe Dylan Carlson is just kind of who he's showing us to be over the last season and a half offensively, and that's not necessarily something that you uh, that, that you prioritize in terms of daily playing time. And he had this tweet, Paul Young has 10 homers in 178 plate appearances this season. Carlson has nine extra base hits in total in 142 plate appearances. So, yeah, DeYoung's ability to hit the long ball and hit for power 
have that higher slugging percentage. That's something the Cardinals are prioritizing in their lineup, and it makes sense, too, that they feel good about the production defensively that they're going to get from him at shortstop. So in the mind of the team, if Tommy Edmond is a good defensive replacement for what Carlson would provide in center, even if he's not quite as good, he can still be above average and, and give them a good look. And, and what they're looking for is to just not have these these terrible plays that screw a pitching staff over and, and cost you a bunch of runs. Now, again, he's had one or two that have been a little bit costly as he kind of continues to to learn the ropes out there. But I think by and large, his athleticism for Tommy Edmond has allowed him to be pretty successful in center field. And so if they view Tommy Edmond, and again, I don't think it's worthwhile to look at just the defensive metrics because a lot of times those will get more accurate. In my opinion, when you look over a longer sample, you can gain a lot more clarity with what you're actually looking at with those. But a lot of times defense can just be related to the eye test. And you look at the kind of jumps the guys get and you look at the kind of uh, you know, whether the, the throw from where they are, from where they should have been, was the throw competitive to try to gun a guy out at the plate or at third base or whatever the case might be. Like, there's a lot of different aspects, I think, that you got to put into consideration of a defense. And, and in this case, not just looking at, well, what do the metrics say? I think you got to look at a little bit of everything to be able to get a full idea. That's my opinion. Some people might, you know, treat those defensive metrics like it's their Bible and they would say that that's the end-all be-all and, you know, Everybody's got their different way of of looking at the game, and, and this is just a case where I say, yeah, I'm going to prefer to blend the eye test and to blend having a feel for the way guys look with the ball coming off the bat and, and things like that. And I'm just convinced that Dylan Carlson knows what he's doing out there. Tommy Edmond, I'm giving a lot of credit to for the job that he's done. The Cardinals can view it, though, that they're basically, if they're basically about even, even if you were to give a slight edge to Carlson, um, if they view it that DeYoung is just as much of a better shortstop than Edmund at second base, then Carlson is better than Edmund in the outfield, then you can still make that trade-off, especially if you're projecting to get better offensive production in your lineup from Paul DeYoung being in there rather than Dylan Carlson. I don't know that that's for sure the case, but even as DeYoung has struggled a lot recently, you can still look at his OPS this season, and it's at 754, which to me, if the Cardinals had Goldschmidt, Arenado, Jordan Walker... And I'll even cap it there. I'll just get, say those three guys doing whatever it is that they would naturally do. And then if you just had a button, you could press to get everybody else at 754 OPS, which would mean Tommy Edmond going up by 29 points. Gorman would drop by about 30-something points, although he may do that on his own if he continues to play and play poorly. Uh, Contreras would be up another 100 points because he's about 648. That's a 106 lower than DeYoung's 754. Uh, Newpar's right at that number, 756. Uh, Donovan's right at that number at 748. So I, I think if you plugged in those numbers and just let the guys that I consider to be kind of the three best hitters right now, Goldschmidt, Arenado, and, and yeah, Jordan Walker is in that conversation for me, especially with the slump that Gorman's going through. I think that ends up being a pretty competitive MLB lineup and one of the best that you're going to see. Uh, now, now Newpar is another guy that you, you'd probably like him to ultimately be above 756 if he can get more like 780, 790, push 800. I think that's more along the lines of what you expected from him to begin the season. And I frankly think Brendan Donovan will end up well above 750 uh, by year's end. He's been trending in that direction and is finally kind of uh, climbing that mountain to now 748. Again, from where he had been, he'd really been struggling. And you're seeing now the power come back into his game a little bit. The on-base skills and the, the plate discipline skills have always been there for Brendan Donovan, who is, to me, just always going to be a guy with a, a frequently high on-base percentage. If he's able to add power to that, 
which he's up to now seven home runs on the year. If he can, if he can wallop 12 to 16 home runs for the season, uh, you're going to look at wins above replacement numbers from Donovan that are going to be really, really impressive at the end of the year. But as we kind of get into this lineup talk again, we predicted that it was going to be Dylan Carlson probably on the outs. Is it going to be that way every single day? Remains to be seen. Honestly, what you do Tuesday, in my mind, I believe it's Mackenzie Gore on the mound for the Washington Nationals. And remember, he came over in the uh, the trade for Juan Soto, which again, if people are going to use this as a moment to say, oh, the Cardinals should have traded Dylan Carlson for Juan Soto and they could have done it. I still think the package that the Padres gave up, because it included Mackenzie Gore, who is a left-handed, major league-ready, top-pitching prospect, who's now posted 1.8 wins above replacement in a 3.74 ERA in that rotation this year. The Cardinals will face the lefty tomorrow. I still say that's a better package than anything the Cardinals could have given uh, because even if Matthew Libertor ends up panning out, which so far this year he has not, the ERA is like six, um, he he was not of the, the caliber of prospect that Mackenzie Gore was considered as last year, and so the Cardinals just did not have the pitching to offer in that package. Now, if the Nationals were saying, hey, we want Dylan Carlson and the Cardinals didn't do it, and that was literally the reason, then okay, we would all be able to poke fun and say that was a mistake because if Carlson's just a fourth outfielder to this team right now, obviously they misaligned and, and misappropriated what his value to the team was. All that being said, I still believe you would have been talking about losing a Gorman or a Jordan Walker or a Mason Wynn or probably two of those three to get Juan Soto, and it just... I'm not going to say it wouldn't have been worth it because we don't know how all of these careers would have played out. We don't know what the exact price would have been in that potential trade, but it wasn't just a, a Dylan Carlson thing. And so let's not try to make it about that. Um, but a chance tomorrow against a lefty is my point that Carlson, you probably want in the lineup there tomorrow because uh, over the course of his career, he has been more effective from that side of the plate, from the right side, facing left-handed pitching. Uh, although he's taken some nice at bats. I thought this season, in terms of what he's done from the left side as well, but it's kind of hit and miss. We, we saw an 0 for 5 from Dylan earlier this week where you just it seems like he's just having a little bit of hard time getting into that rhythm. In this season, he's actually had a higher OPS now that I check it out. He's had a, a higher OPS against righties. It's been a little bit paltry against lefties. It's just been the fact that he's had absolutely no power at all from the right side, um, but he's taken some decent at-bats. Uh, the, the, the batting average is 268 against lefties, so a chance with a, a lefty on the mound tomorrow that maybe we see Dylan Carlson or maybe Ollie Marmel's reading into those splits and saying, if he's not going to give us any power whatsoever, I don't care that the on-base numbers and the batting average numbers are better for Dylan this season uh, from the right side. I, we're just going to try to go with somebody that can provide more thump. That clearly has been the conversation and what they've done with Paul DeYoung, giving him every opportunity to work through a lot of these games where he can just completely fall down a well and crater and not give you anything offensively and you'll strike out. I, I like the at-bats Carlson is taking. First of all, he's been called out on strikes a ton on pitches that I just didn't think were close, and so that hurts his overall numbers. Um, but I have to be fair as well and just recognize that, yeah, the overall numbers this season just haven't been too impressive from Dylan Carlson. But I would like to see him not just completely ignored as somebody that at 24 years of age, they just write off and assume that he's never going to be any good. Because I look at this Cardinals outfield and say for 2024, you're in, you're very much teetering close to a situation where it could be very, very barren outside of Lars Nupar, who a lot of people would look at Lars Nupar and say, well, what what has he done in his career to make him this automatic given in the Cardinals outfield? And I would disagree with those people as listeners of B-Shape Daily going back to the last couple of years. No, 
I've always been in Lars Newpar's corner. Would not have been having him on the trade block at all each of the last two off seasons. And I think offensively, there's still more in the bat in terms of him getting the power going a little bit. We just haven't seen a ton of power from him, which is why it's a little bit alarming or surprising to see him batting third today as he was. But the plate discipline and the on-base skills are there. Just get a little bit more going with the launch angle and the batted ball data. And, and I think he's going to end up being a guy that can be very toolsy offensive player doing a little bit of batting average, even better on base, even better slug. Uh, just has to kind of get that going a little bit. But defensively, I think, especially if he's in a corner outfield spot, he's going to be above average in pretty much every respect. And so, yeah, if the Cardinals had three Lars Newpars running around in their outfield, I generally would say I, I'd lock that in for the next five years. They've really just been looking for that slightly above average production from any and all of their outfield spots and just have not been able to come up with it. You've got guys like Tyler O'Neill this year, completely fell flat and did not meet expectations. Um, Dylan Carlson, offensively, uh, yeah, granted, they have not given him any reason to thrive because he's kind of been the first guy that they're willing to throw under the bus or at least off the bus when it comes to daily playing time. But yeah, I mean, you look at his numbers, he's hitting 238, nothing really impressive in terms of slugging, just 365. It's a 682 OPS and an 87 OPS plus, which means relative to league average being 100, he's about 13% below league average as a, an offensive producer from the outfield. And you you need to see more than that. But it's it's the chicken or the egg. If they've given guys like Paul DeYoung way more opportunities uh, over the years and, and even as he struggles at times this season to stay with it or maybe regain his stroke to, to produce at the level that they believe is possible from him, it's just a little bit of a curiosity that Carlson has not been extended the same chance but I think they have to get into predicting and projecting a little bit what a guy's going to look like. And if you look at the batted ball data, Carlson just has not been a guy consistently over the past couple of years hitting the ball hard with regularity. And I think they've sort of made up their mind of where he falls in the pecking order. And they don't have anything negative to say about him. It's just kind of a a, a rock and a hard place situation for the Cardinals where they they just have guys that they are betting on a little bit more in terms of being able to produce offense and damage uh, when they step into the batter's box. So I don't know what it would take for Carlson to sort of change the perception of him from within the organization. I guess it's just having more of those damaging swings more often. But again, it's kind of a catch-22. If he's not being given the opportunities to do it, it could be a little tricky. But again, here's somebody that I'm not questioning when it comes to like the notion that his bat stays in the lineup, and that's Tommy Edmond. Again, I think if he's batting ninth, you are going to have a better nine-hole batter than most everybody in the league. And right now, that equates to a 240 average and just a 725 OPS. But 725, I mean, you could do a lot worse than that from an OPS standpoint. Um, again, there are guys within the Cardinals lineup, like Wilson Contreras, doing much worse than that. And obviously, Edmund today, with the big day that he had, uh, got those numbers to climb up a little bit. He only uh, ended up taking two at-bats, but two for two, had the triple, walked a couple of times as well to reach base a total of four times, and he scored three runs. So a huge day offensively for Tommy Edmond. Uh, the wins above replacement numbers aren't really there for him in the way that we've seen in the past just because defensively, like the metrics, for whatever reason, not loving what he's done this year, which, again, he's had moments at second base where I thought, I mean, you don't even have to think too hard about it. He's had a couple of plays at second where errors have, have sort of ultimately led to the Cardinals losing games relatively directly as he's made a couple of ninth-inning errors or late-game errors that have cost the Cardinals runs. Uh, but just 0.8 on the wins above replacement tally. But I think at the end of the year, if 
you're still going to see Tommy as a three to four, maybe even more win player. Last year, he was 6.3. So uh, I think that's ultimately going to all level itself out. But the job that he did offensively today for the Cardinals, I'm not questioning Edmund being in the lineup. I just have never been somebody that's been a hater of his performance at shortstop. If, if anything, that could be part of the reason that you're seeing Tommy Edmund uh, not as comfortable defensively. Although, again, in center field, he's done a nice job, and he's still able to add that flexibility and, and versatility. Like, if you have him in fantasy baseball, you're happy because now he's listed as an outfielder, too. I've got him in a league where you could put him just about anywhere. He did have a big kind of stretch of the season where he was slumping offensively over the last week or so. Seems to be coming out of that rather nicely, and today was was a really good look for Tommy Edmond at the plate, and I I think he's a valuable winning player. I know that the Cardinals, as we've talked about, are maybe going to have to trade somebody or a couple of somebodies from the surplus that they have in terms of position players, but uh, Tommy Edmond is a hard guy for me to want to give give away if I'm the Cardinals, and and I would always just be worried if I traded him for a pitcher, that I trade him for that pitcher, and then at any point that guy can blow out his arm, and for the next 15, 16 months, I don't have the benefit of him, and I also then don't have the benefit of Tommy Edmond with everything that he can bring to a team, he's a Swiss army knife, just like Brendan Donovan. And both of them have really good plate profiles where, I mean, Tommy Edmond, again, low seven hundreds for OPS. There's value to that when he's your nine hitter. And he can probably over the course of the season, steal you 25 to 30 bases. He's up to 12 steals at this point. Um, so, I mean, in the, in so much as he's effective with stealing bases and not getting caught all that often, which that has to be part of it. If you're getting caught a bunch of times, it doesn't really work out. But if you have a pretty high degree of success, which Tommy Edmond does, I mean, he's had 30-plus steals each of the last two seasons. Last year, he was 32 for 35. I mean, you're only getting thrown out three times. That's basically, Tommy Edmond hit 31 doubles last year. It's essentially like he hit about 60 doubles because he's able to take the second bag. We always talk about Tommy Two Bags demanding the second bag. There is a, a, a intrinsic value to that. And this year, just 13 doubles so far. But 12 for 13 in stolen base attempts, that guy gets you the second bag and you're in scoring position, which if the Cardinals knew how to hit with runners in scoring position, that would be even more valuable. But I do think there's a lot of value that Tommy Edmond brings to the table that unless I'm getting just a bonafide ace man, I'm really having a hard time when you're talking about the idea of trading Tommy Edmond. Like the Twins and the Marlins pulled off that trade of Pablo Lopez going to Minnesota for Luis Arias. Arias is another one of those guys that, yeah, he's a middle infielder, a dime a dozen, right? No. Arias is hitting 400. He had five hits today, and Miami is 10 games above 500, and he's kind of a heartbeat of that clubhouse kind of guy. Uh, you know, we haven't seen a, a 400 hitter in a long time in MLB, and right now through, you know, at least mid-June, Luis Arias is right on that, right on the button on that. And so that's just kind of to give you an idea of, the kinds of guys that sometimes get traded for like that's a one for one MLB pitcher for MLB hitter deal that Minnesota probably felt pretty good about when they did it because they said, Oh, well, I mean, he's a second baseman, Luis Arias. We like the guy, but it's just, you know, we, we really need an ace type of pitcher. We think Pablo Lopez can be that Lopez has a four two seven ERA. He's getting relatively deep into his starts. He's doing a nice enough job for them has one win above replacement, but Luis Arias was like a legit, middle infielder who maybe just because of his positional aspects uh, was not being totally valued as much. And it, it also was another part of it. It takes talent to get talent. And that's what you got to realize too. Uh, and I know Luis Arias moves around the diamond a little bit. I assume he's been playing second base. I guess I should have to look at his uh, defensive game logs to know exactly what he's been doing this year. Yeah, largely second base this year uh, with a couple of stints at first base. 
it takes talent to get talent. And if you're one of those that says the Cardinals need to trade for an ace pitcher, I get it. But it, you could be looking at a guy like Edmund or Donovan being dealt in that. And I'm just very wildly uncomfortable with that because of the value both of these guys can bring to the table and just the notion of pitching, it gets injured. Like, that's what pitchers do is they get hurt. And as much as I can recognize the Cardinals absolutely need pitching if they're going to thrive, if they're going to be able to get where they need to go, not just talking 2023, but like designing this roster a little more effectively for the future, it's going to come down to some difficult decisions like that. And uh, yeah, I, I just think Tommy Edmond, Brendan Donovan are two guys that should not be undervalued. Now, Nolan Gorman is another interesting case. Like if you would have talked about about a month ago at this time, or, or, or even three, four weeks ago after Nolan Gorman had his big series against the Dodgers. So, yeah, the Cardinals could probably trade Nolan Gorman and get the world because everybody's like, oh, this guy might just be an MVP candidate now. He might be a perennial all-star now. He's really, really, really fallen down the well, so to speak. Since then, his ERA, or not his ERA, but his OPS is down to now 790 and another 0 for 4 today where, again, with a lefty tomorrow, I mentioned that Carlson maybe gets a chance in the lineup I think if he does, you, you put Donovan at second base, you take Gorman, and maybe he sits the bench with uh, whether Walker's back at DH or back in the outfield. Uh, I, I think it would open up probably a spot for Dylan Carlson if you were to put uh, Walker at DH again. And then uh, if, even if Tommy plays your outfield. And again, against the lefty, I'm probably playing Paul DeYoung that day too. Gorman's my guy to sit on, on Tuesday just because the numbers are where they are. He's got 15 home runs on the year, and that. I don't know if that quite leads the team, but it's got to be up there for the Cardinals uh, at this point. I guess I can check. Uh, Goldschmidt's got 13. And Nolan Arenado, he did add a couple on Father's Day. He's he's tied with the other Nolan at 15 homers. But the numbers for Gorman lately have just been, I mean, he's won for his last 27, which is an 037 average over the past seven games. He is four for his last 51. That's an 078 for basically half a month. And if you go back for a full month, a full 30 games, he's hitting 174 with just a 330 slug. So he's just not been the same guy. We talked about it in the offseason. The reason I thought they would trade Nolan Gorman was because of exactly the potential for this scenario playing out, where last year when he slumped, what did they do? They sent him on the bench. They sent him to Memphis. Granted, they had Albert Pujols as an obvious answer every day for the, for the DH spot. But this team has answers. I mean, Dylan Carlson getting into the field and... and uh, keeping everybody else bat in the lineup could be an answer. You're going to play Donovan. You're going to play Tommy Edmond. If they want to play to Young, you could see how Gorman versus Carlson could be kind of a, a another element to this debate. But again, there's no question of who can provide the more the more powerful swing, can give you more pop in your lineup. But right now, we're just not seeing any contributions whatsoever from Gorman offensively, uh, which is a bummer because at one point in time, again, I was tooting the horn of this guy's an all-star and I, I called my shot back in spring training before the season began, that he would be one. Right now, he's not looking like he's going to get there. And I don't know what else you do other than than maybe sit him against lefties and, and keep him low in the lineup. I think he's a streaky hitter. I think we gave him a lot of praise earlier in the season for how much he had developed as a hitter. He's got to try to get back to some of that because for a good month and a half of this season, he was doing a lot of those things really well. And then in basically a month since, he's, he's not been able to be that same guy. And the, the Cardinals are are straining to figure it out because it's a another one of those catch-22s with your lineup. You want to be able to believe in a guy. When a guy's struggling, you want to say, hey, we can see you through this because we know that you'll come out on the other side of it. But when it's Wilson Contreras and he's struggling for as long as he has, or when it's Nolan Gorman and you've already really seen that proof of concept this year, 
but then we haven't really seen it for a month. Like, what do you do if you're Ollie Marmol? I think it's difficult, and we're getting to that point where curtailing the playing time a little bit has got to be part of the consideration. But Cardinals fans, let me know what you think about some of these lineup decisions that we're talking over here. Do you like Lars Newpar in the three-hole? What do you think about Walker still batting below Wilson Contreras? And how do the Cardinals handle the latest slump by Nolan Gorman? It's kind of gone on for a little while now. Uh, like we said, we're approaching maybe a month where he really just has not been the same guy that he had been. How do they factor that in with all the other guys they're looking to maybe gain playing time for? Even in a situation where Dylan Carlson has been on the outside looking in, uh, a lot of interesting machinations here that I think Ollie Marmel could go with. Uh, let me hear your thoughts. Subscribe on the YouTube channel and comment below with your comments on how the Cardinals and Ollie Marmel should be handling the daily lineup. The bottom line is they score eight runs today. They're getting power from guys like Goldschmidt and Donovan at the top of the order. They wrap out 11 hits in total. DeYoung and Edmund did their job from the bottom. Arenado had a base knock today. No hits for Newt Barr, but he did reach via walk and score a run. You have 11 hits, you get four walks, and more than anything else, able to get the job done with runners in scoring position today. On Monday, the Cardinals were 5-for-8 as a team with Risp. That is a lot better. They kept the line moving, and they came up with a big knock when they needed it. And again, that was a, a day offensively that followed a 5 nothing deficit right out of the gate. So for the Cardinals to stick with it, I saw a lot of dumb comments. I kind of go off on you guys when there are things that I see that I don't agree with. And by the way, one other aspect of that conversation I had when it came to the uh, the tweet from Jeff Jones, whose comment was not a dumb one, but I forgot to read the remainder of it, where when it came to the discussion of DeYoung versus Carlson, he said, it's not that I don't understand the argument for Carlson being in the lineup, but at what point does he have to turn in results? It's year four, which, you know, year four, technically that's true. Dylan Carlson got his start in the 2020 COVID season. So that shortens it a little bit because he didn't get the full opportunity there. Um, but but even last year, it seemed like there were times where they started to kind of go away from Carlson toward the end. And now, obviously, he's been kind of the fourth outfielder type for much of this season. Uh, the one consideration that I have as we're kind of talking out these lineup factors, I think if you look to 2024, and a lot of Cardinals fans have already done that, Dylan Carlson has a better chance of contributing in a position of need than Paul DeYoung. Yes, Paul DeYoung has that contract where there's an option in it and they can technically pick it up. I, I He could hit 25 home runs and, and have an OPS near 800, which would mean a really robust finish to the season for him the rest of the way. I just do not anticipate Paul DeYoung being a Cardinal next year. I think the cost of the, the option year is too prohibitive, and I also think they're not going to rework something else. I, I just do not expect him to be around. And Dylan Carlson is only not going to be around if they decide to trade him, which if, if he's got value and you trade him for something of need, then that I can probably get behind, even though I, I do think he's got value to the team uh, if he can just get the back going. But I get it. The ifs and buts, candy and nuts, a lot of times those guys that you, you wish on and you hope on don't end up coming through, and it's better to trade them too early than too late. And the Cardinals are probably already teetering to that territory. As Jeff mentioned, you're in year number four of his major league career at this point where they may have already waited too long to get the max value or uh, or even a reasonable value for what Dylan Carlson uh, would bring now compared to what he would have fetched in a trade, you know, at other times in his career. But if you do happen to be one of those people looking ahead to 2024, that would be another reason that I would look at it because as I, I tried to get into, but I, I go stream of consciousness sometimes and and lose a train of thought. Next year's outfield, you're looking at Newpar, and then that's about it in terms of guarantees. Now, guys like Edmund and Donovan are going to get playing time but going into a season, it would feel a little bit weird to say, yeah, like those are our, we're going to make the plan that those guys are our outfield. Because when in reality, you're going to, you're going to play in a starting nine and 
guys like Edmund and Donovan might be a part of it, but it's more of they can back up any given role, and there's a lot of value to that because you can count on those two guys, and there are a lot of other players that you you find over the course of time you're not going to be able to count on. I think it would behoove the Cardinals to find out whether or not they can count on Dylan Carlson once and for all, but if you don't give him the playing time, you could get into a spot where let's say they don't trade him in July. Then you get to this end of the season, and you're still asking yourself, well, what is Dylan Carlson? Is he just kind of a reserve outfielder, or is he somebody that we can we can try to plan around if we're the St. Louis Cardinals for the coming season? I think if he doesn't really play, the ship is going to have kind of sailed on that, whereas you could trade him, and then you find out he's like Lane Thomas and can go somewhere else and spread his wings. Lane Thomas is you know 27 years old. Dylan Carlson's still just 24. So if the Cardinals are going to give up on what they believe his bat to be, without really fully fleshing it out during a season where there is clear opportunity right now to do so, that would be the one caveat that I would offer to say that maybe Dylan Carlson deserving of more of a look than what they're going to give him. But again, if they think Paul DeYoung can give him 25 home runs and he's already up to 10, so maybe it's possible, and they're still hell-bent on trying to win this season, I'm in support of that as well because I don't think you as the St. Louis Cardinals should be eligible to write off this season so easily. Even though it's going so poorly, I still think there should be an expectation and, and ownership and management should make every effort uh, to try and make good on those expectations from before the year. Obviously, those have maybe had to shift a little bit, but you can think back and anchor back to what those were, and the Cardinals should be striving to win. So if they think Paul DeYoung is that, there may be some fans that disagree, but I, I understand if they're doing their level best and saying, no, we believe that prioritizing not only the defense, but the offense that DeYoung is going to bring, uh, and, and that's going to edge out Dylan Carlson, which I do believe even though one's an infielder, one's an outfielder, because you have Tommy Edmond able to do both, that does end up being uh, the lineup conversation a lot of times, uh, boiling down to those two guys. And, and Nolan Gorman as well is another guy that can kind of wedge his way into this conversation in, in a bad way because before he would have been a lock for the lineup no matter what, and now he's sort of teetering back into that territory where uh, he can be considered more of a platoon guy. Okay, so that's the caveat. That's the little side conversation I wanted to have. Back to where I said I was getting mad at Cardinals fans. The tweet that I saw... Uh, was from Katie Wu, who was evidently getting some obnoxious replies because well, Cardinals fans are, are capable of those. No offense, I love most of you guys, but uh, Katie had just remarked in one of her tweets where she said, one of the most convincing STL cards wins of the season, I'll say, and I would agree with her there because, again, I made the point that this is the kind of game that, for the first time almost all season, we've seen all elements of the team contribute what they were able, and kind of work in conjunction with one another. This may be another point that I was trying to make earlier in the podcast, and I got off onto a tangent. And so I maybe never finished and and fully fleshed this thought out the way that I wanted to, but my thought was that, all right, Jack Flaherty struggles at the beginning. You're down 5-0. You have a game where the bullpen ends up giving you great work, but again, you weren't going to know that until the end. The offense giving you an opportunity. I mean, they score eight runs, but even with that, you still don't win the game by getting that from your offense, by getting what you got from your bullpen, if you don't get what you got in innings three through six from Jack Flaherty. The fact that he was able to keep it where it was allows an eight-run total for the Cardinals' offense to stand up combined with what Flaherty did in the middle innings combined with what the bullpen did to finish things up and the defense being able to help out Jack Flaherty in the early going the way that they did. That kind of, I think, speaks to what Arenado had said about days we pitch, we don't hit. Days we hit, we don't pitch. And there are other times where you know, things falter that that just you find ways to lose. Today, the Cardinals, were they great in all the phases? No. Tommy Edmond was another guy that we asked this question of during the last homestand, 
where he said, I don't think you need to play great or exceptionally well in all three phases or any one phase, but if you're just good enough in all the phases, that can allow you to win. Well, were they good enough in the starting rotation today? Well, no, but the, the, the various levels of just deplorable, if Jack Flaherty doesn't come back out there in innings three through six and at least give you something versus what he actually did, there's definitely a distinction there. And that distinction was one that allowed the Cardinals bullpen to take over with a lead because of what the offense brought. So like they finally all worked in conjunction with one another. You're not always going to have the best in every single aspect of your team. You're not going to have the offense provide a 10 out of 10. You're not going to have the A-plus game from your rotation every day. But I think today was an example and maybe the best example of the season where with what they had to bring to the table from each element of their roster, that element brought it, and there was a feel for the game when when the other aspects of the roster could go, yep, we're going to need these insurance runs. The bullpen could say, yep, they're going to need us to be completely perfect today without any margin for error because of the things that happened beforehand. They were in conjunction. There was some cohesion to the way this game played out. And so I agreed with Katie saying that it was one of the most convincing wins of the season. And she then had to quote tweet herself later on and say a big thank you to everyone who pointed out the Cardinals played the Nationals today. I had no idea. Listen, if you're in the quote tweets of, or uh, the replies for Katie and say, well, they only played the Nationals. Of course, the Nationals are terrible. You better meet the Cardinals where they live, folks, because the Cardinals have been just as bad as the Nationals essentially all season long. A win is a win in MLB this season, especially if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, I would say never change Twitter, but I'd like some of you guys to change and to not have to point that out as if Katie did not know who the team played uh, in the game on, on Monday. But my point in bringing all of that up is the fact that the Cardinals have indeed won three games in a row, and at a certain point you take the wins where you can get them to beat the Mets over the weekend the last two. Now they've won a third. Yes, does a sweep begin to come into focus against Washington if you can get it done against the lefty Gore on Tuesday? Absolutely because you are going to have to steal some sweeps where you can. But to sweep the series, you got to win the first two. And so we'll see if the Cardinals are able to do that. But I just wanted to f- finish up tonight uh, with, one, a reminder to subscribe to uh, B-Shape Daily, Apple and uh, Spotify, but in particular on YouTube. If you like this content on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer channel. Probably Tuesday night we'll try to get back to a live stream. I know I've gotten some questions from people hoping that we'd have one tonight, but uh, just felt a little bit... More easy to get back into the swing of things. Want to do a couple of lives because I'm also kind of test out to see uh, what it looks like from YouTube perspective when uh, we've got the monetization going and that's all very new. And so I, I'd like to do a couple of just pre-recorded podcasts in a row, see how the numbers are going, see who's finding us brand new and things like that. So it's a little bit of an experiment on my end, uh, but appreciate you guys listening here. But no, I wanted to talk about Jordan Hicks before we got out of here because that's a dude that said, pass me the rock. Third game in a row, Cardinals are in a safe situation. Gallegos throws the eighth, and I just was sitting there thinking, I guess Gio was going to throw the ninth as well because obviously, you know, Hicks is not going to be in there. He's pitched two days in a row, got the Cardinals two saves in a row as he is evidently the closer now. And then next thing you know, Jordan Hicks is being showed on TV, warming up out in the Cardinal bullpen there in D.C. Really cool, man. Like, that's what the Cardinals need. They need some dudes who in that bullpen can go out and take the ball. And it's not a knock on Ryan Helsley because the limitations are the limitations, right? And you don't want to do anything to jeopardize your body and, and your long-term health, which, again, Ryan Helsley is in a spot right now where uh, the, the soreness and the forearm and things going on, he's not being able to help his team. And so certain guys you've got to manage maybe a little more carefully. I love that Jordan Hicks is a guy that that senses an opening here and, and also you know senses that maybe free agency is coming up and he could be viewed as a marquee closer if he uh, could take this job and run with it the rest of the 2023 campaign. But I just love that Cardinals needed 
a guy like Jordan Hicks to step up and the way he's done over the past three days, getting three saves in a row. I believe they said on the broadcast the first time since 2019, April of 2019, that Hicks has been used in three consecutive days. And if you're wondering if the stuff was maybe going to tail off a little bit uh, because because of fatigue or something like that, uh, no. <laughs> Jordan Hicks, the 104-mile-per-hour pitch that he threw, I guess it was to Lane Thomas to end the game, was it's got to be the best fastball, like the best singular fastball thrown in MLB this season. I'm watching it again now. It was absolutely filthy. The sinker looks like it's going to be, you know, middle-middle basically or, or, or just kind of low part of the strike zone. And it ends up just off the plate, low and in, nothing Lane Thomas could do with it. And again, 104 miles per hour. My goodness, the, the slow-mo of that thing is just disgusting. Uh, nice backhanded stab by uh, Contreras as well to be able to hang on to that pitch. The movement was just lethal. Hitting up 104 on the radar gun. The Cardinals needed Jordan Hicks. And I think that's the, the kind of guy, when he's going right, that you can rally around a little bit to try and buy uh, a winning streak. That's what the Cardinals are looking to do. Day after day, they've got to find guys that are going to step up. Today, I'm looking at the Donovans of the world, the Goldschmidts of the world, which, again, we might end up having a podcast at some point getting into the longer-scale conversation about does this team trade Paul Goldschmidt if they're out of it? And I think the answer is no, and so it may be, a, you know, as uh, Joey from Friends would say, um, it's a moo point. It's like a cow's opinion. It's just moo. doesn't matter uh, because I just don't think if the Cardinals are even remotely in it, that they're looking to deal Paul Goldschmidt. But if you've got a reigning MVP who continues to perform the way that he has this year and he's still hitting at a high level and defensively can play at a high level and has next year of his contract as well, uh, does that guy fetch some serious consideration on the trade market? And do you also have this conversation with Jordan Walker where you go, well, is he going to be an outfielder? He can't play third base. Is Maybe a guy of his size could turn into a crafty first baseman over there. I still am not of the mind that you trade Paul Goldschmidt, but if people are continuing to discuss it, I had a group chat that I was in for one of my fantasy leagues today where we all kind of got into a, a spirited discussion about it, and, and I think you got people on different sides of the discussion, all of them I think with valid points, but it's just one of those deals where I can't fathom the Cardinals getting into that situation if they're even remotely in the race. But Goldsmith was, and part of the reason for that is because now they've won three games in a row, and you're not winning all these games without Paul Goldsmith offering his contributions. And today he he had a, a big contribution with the go-ahead swing to put the Cardinals ahead, and they, they never did trail again in the game. But you talk Gold, Goldschmidt, you talk Donovan, uh, Tommy Edmonds certainly coming up with some uh, some important at-bats at the plate today and, and contributing to uh, several of the runs for the Cardinals. Jordan Hicks ends up being another guy that you that you put in there because if you got to run somebody else random out of your bullpen to, to maybe get that ninth inning if Gallegos didn't have a second inning in him, which, uh, again, he, he threw 10 pitches, so I, you'd think he could have if he needed to. But sometimes maybe they figure with the internal metrics and the, the data that they have on a guy that maybe he won't be as effective during this part of the lineup or, or in a second inning of work on this given day. So the fact that the Cardinals can now trust Jordan Hicks, or at least for the, the moment they feel that they can, and he looks absolutely nasty and lights out, and he's pitching with confidence, pitching with swagger, ends up being a, a super critical aspect of a team that, again, they do well to go ahead and win 13 of their next 15 or whatever. You know, if they're talking about winning the last three and, and then putting together a stretch of a half a month or so, and I know the whole London thing is going to play into that because they have a lot of off days sandwiched around that London uh, little two-gamer. Can they get the sweep here in Washington to be able to maybe catapult them? And, and again, having a, a fun London trip that 
doesn't end in heartbreak, that doesn't end in sadness, can maybe go a long way in terms of momentum for a season-long comeback, which uh, that's what it's got to turn into for the Cardinals at this point with how far behind they are. I just think having guys like Jordan Hicks doing Jordan Hicks things over the last few days and being able to almost count on that as a constant, I don't I don't think anybody's going into those outings going, oh, yeah, this is easy-peasy for Jordan Hicks uh, because they've seen the times this year where he's not been sharp. But when he's pitching the way that he has and has this focus and has this the sharpness to his arsenal, that's a huge value to not only a bullpen but a team that is just looking for edges anywhere they can find them. And I think right now Jordan Hicks is developing himself into being a, a very nice edge. Grab him in fantasy baseball if you haven't. He was available in two of my dynasty leagues yesterday, which I thought was a little surprising, so I, I scooped him up in both of those. But he's very clearly the Cardinals' closer right now, and he, that's not a job he's going to lose just because Ryan Helsley comes back. Uh, you know They'll trust Helsley or Hicks in the ninth inning in, in, in those situations, but Jordan Hicks is very fast becoming the go-to reliever for the Cardinals in the most important spots of games. Uh, will it last forever? I have no idea, but as long as it's happening... It's definitely something that the Cardinals are are fortunate to be able to count on. Go ahead and assume, though, that he will not be available for Tuesday, as uh, I, I'd i be very surprised to see a guy who throws 100 miles per hour be used out of the bullpen four consecutive days. Could be an opportunity for Jordan Montgomery. It's lefty on lefty crime with uh, Mackenzie Gore on the Washington side. Can Jordan Montgomery continue uh, pitching a little better the way we've seen of him of late? And that ERA is now below four. Can he dial it up and, and maybe have a seven-inning outing to be able to continue to spare that bullpen? Because right now it's not as much about guys are overworked or overtaxed. And I mean, Hicks is, but everybody else has kind of been eased in a little bit lately. It's just who's going to be the effective guys out of that bullpen that you can really trust. We saw a lot of Palante over the weekend. Now he should be rested and ready to go. But again, do you have faith in the guys behind Gallegos and Hicks at this point? It's kind of hit and miss. And so... Montgomery to give you seven, and if you can go into the eighth with the lead, I think you've got the talent in that bullpen, even without Hicks tomorrow, to be able to to navigate a couple of innings. But if you have another another case where, uh, like, Libertor had to be bailed out the other day and you get five innings from the bullpen, that's going to be a tricky way to live. We'll see what the Cardinals are able to come up with with Jordan Montgomery on the mound Tuesday night. That, though, is going to do it for this edition of the show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, uh, kind of stay tuned. Uh, within the next couple of days, I do plan on the YouTube stream uh, to have one of those live streams coming out and so we can get the comments rolling and get people back in the community having conversations about Cardinals baseball. Will they still be on a winning streak when we do it? Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube to the Brennan Schaefer St. Louis Cardinals writer channel. It's youtube.com slash at bschaefer12 and uh, join us for the next live stream upcoming. Keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out on my Twitter page at bschaefer12 as well uh, as I'll kind of announce and let people know what the plans are moving forward for that. So thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.